Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, this is our big 2012 Smile Family Happy Wish Show episode where we get to talk about the year, all that went down, as well as talk about some predictions for 2013. So, joining me today, we have Stephen Meyerink, the Nino Cooney hater. I don't hate it. Yeah, you do. I'm, yeah, I, yeah, I don't hate it. I nothing it. You just hate whimsy, fun, and mischief. No, I like mischief and fun. I just like it when it's not couched in... Never mind. Got <sighs> Taylor's on the boards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we have Kyle E. Miller, the cyberpunk slash Witcher 3, good lord, so happy with CD Projekt right now. Witcher 3. <laughs> Are you even worried at all about cyberpunk? I wouldn't say uh, worried is the right word. Okay, are, are you happy about it? Yes, I'm ecstatic, but The Witcher 3 is coming out sooner, and I want to have Geralt's children. So. Whoa. Okay. Um, Geralt can't have children. Witcher, he's mutant. Yeah, he can't have children. Little Witcher babies. Little Witcher babies, but he can't have kids. Yeah, he can't yeah. have kids. He's a Witcher. They'll, they'll he's adopt. It's there's got to be a potion for it. <laughs> there's, there's a potion, potion for seeing in the dark. <laughs> There's a exactly. potion for temporary fertility. <laughs> well, think, we're off to a great start. I think that's called Viagra, actually, Stephen. Oh, boy. Actually, that would be really... Oh, whatever. Okay, uh, Kyle, introduce yourself again. I'm Kyle. <laughs> Hello, Kyle. <laughs> and I love Geralt. Oh, boy. All right, and then we have Derek, the other half of the Nino Cooney Defense Force. Yeah, There's who's the other half? That's you? me, man. Oh, okay. He has to say that because he bought the guys, Wizards guys, edition. I just want, I just want everybody to know, Rob is on the Nino Cooney Defense Force, but next month when he goes, Nino Cooney was great, man, except, well, you except get to the end and everything. that game just fell apart. It would be, so, it's a level five game. Of course the ending is going to fall apart. So you're on the Defense Force right now until, until something comes up. That's and then I'm going to be sitting here going, hey, does that little mutant thing with the lamp on his nose, does he make you feel better when you're playing it? He does, he does. As I, uh, I apologize right now, I'm taking the bell off my cat so he doesn't cause too much noise. Okay, so Derek, introduce yourself again. I'm still Derek, just like I was a minute ago. And I like Japanese RPGs. I don't. But, but you know, uh, it's really hard not to curse at you. I like things other than Japanese RPGs, too. Keep that in mind. <laughs> a man of like many tastes. Japanese uh, action games? No. Sorry. Just Oh boy! I like JRPGs too. I like Steven, and I also like Kyle, and I even tolerate Rob. Just kidding, Aww. I like Rob. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> okay, so we got a lot to talk about with 2012. Lots and lots of games came out, so we're kind of kind of go through some of the major releases this year. Say a few words about them. A couple final parting shots, and then we'll move on into 2013 and what we're excited about. Kyle, Witcher 3, obviously, me, Dark Souls 2. You, you pretty much know where this podcast is going to go. Okay, so we started off the year in high fashion with a game that lots of people asked for. I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> Is that true? Did people really? <laughs> I don't know if people asked for it, but they sure as hell got it. Uh, Final Fantasy 13 2. Okay, go. Step into the rainbow. That was number one. <laughs> Second one is time and space. Time, time and space. You know, if nothing else you could say about that game, it had awesome music. Yeah, it did. I was actually just listening to that soundtrack again the other day. Um, it's a really good one. Because they're... Yeah, because they're they're hyping like they put the single from the Lightning Returns trailer on iTunes, 
for 69 cents for <laughs> some reason. So I was listening to it and I was like, this reminds me of how good the 13-2 soundtrack was and how not good the story was. But that's okay because it had good music. Square um, Enix has not dropped the ball with music, if nothing. If... And that's, I was actually talking to somebody about that earlier, um, about how it's like regardless of the quality of the games, they always seem to put out some good music. They have a lot of really talented composers, so I only wish they could match the quality of those compositions with quality and gameplay. But as far as 13.2 goes, I don't think that it was an awful game. I certainly was excited for it, and I enjoyed playing it the entire way through. I platinumed it. But the story, like Rob would say, completely fell apart at the end. I mean, to begin with, it was really weird and not really... It's uh, We all knew that they sort of retconned 13's ending, which was aggravating. And I know that when you're really invested in something like, you know, I'm one of like the three FF13 fans in the world. Um, <laughs> I was actually... I enjoyed the story for what it's worth. I felt it was underdeveloped. But 13.2 sort of said, LOL, time travel, and messed with it and i don't mind noel I, I he's he's a good character sarah's fine um is noel the guy who looks like sora sure okay yeah um right. they really call him noel yeah and yeah it's noel it's not noel it's noel uh, i guess it's supposed to make him a little bit more masculine i don't know but i think that i think that was a fun game and i do think that I, we did give it the runner-up for best traditional rpg of the year um it did definitely improve on 13 in some notable ways, but it also, I think, I, I think it took a couple of steps back in some ways as well. And I really hope that Lightning Returns can can rectify those mistakes. I'm not going to keep my fingers crossed, but I, like I said in the last podcast, I'm sure I'm going to play Lightning Returns and enjoy it to, to some extent. I just wish that 13.2 didn't mess with the, the story so much, but it was overall, so, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that game. When you it actually like retcon stuff and like inexplicably retconned it or like Star Trek the old the the new Star no. Trek retconned like well it was like okay slight spoiler I guess but they showed this off in all the trailers for thirteen two before it came out so like at the end of thirteen it shows lightning and crew and lightning is released from being crystallized and yay happily ever after and then. In the opening, I, I guess it's not the opening. It's like shortly after in thirteen two. It shows her supposedly right after she was released from the crystal. It shows her getting sucked into this black vortex of chaos that sent her through time, and now she's a warrior of the goddess Etro. Who, if you read all of the side the data log kind of stuff, you knew that Etro existed in thirteen, but they never mentioned Etro by name at all. So it's just sort of felt like part of the mythology that they wanted to put a spotlight on. So they were like, all right. That's what this is going to be about. Um, I just, I really don't like that they took the ending. I, like, they literally took the ending CG from 13 and then added a bit to it, where lightning gets sucked into darkness. And they're like, all right, now this is the beginning. And then... So it's Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And the entire thing is time traveling. So, of course, time do meet, travel... Do you meet Winnie the Pooh? Is there any good stuff yeah. in the game? Pooh? And um, you go into Atlantica and you dance with Ariel and... No, you don't do any of that. Do you get to have any fishy fun? No. No fishy uh, fun. Oh, that song is stuck in my I did that to myself. I did that to myself. I Wow. But, but there's no you know what? At least Kingdom Hearts 2 is nice enough to have stuff like that. Nowadays, they're just like, 
Yo, dog, I heard you like combat, and never mind, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah, Dream, we have to talk about Dream Drop Distance. That's not in our list. Oh, boy. So, I wish we, did, we do have to talk about that. So, Derek, overall, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and attack 13-2. I didn't play it. I, I Well, I played the demo, and I fought a hand, and I was just like, this is incoherent nonsense, and I don't care. But, like, would you say that you liked 13-2 more than 13, or is it just like there were aspects that were better? Like, how is this game going to go down? That's really hard to say. I think that they they both succeeded and failed in different ways. I think that they got rid of that stifling linearity, but they also just totally screwed the story. Um, I would say I probably enjoyed playing 13-2 more, if that makes sense. As as a game, it was better. Yeah, I, uh, but I agree as an that. experience, it was inferior, I think. Yeah. I think I think Square Enix actually has that problem lately where the more they iterate on their games, the more absurd the plots become. It it's really hard. Like, um, and it didn't have to be. They they yeah, had exactly. that's, that's the thing. They, they had a setup already. In a, right, in a natural direction from the ending of thirteen, but instead they went, whoa, time travel. Which I, I, again, I, I not to bring it up too soon, but that's the same thing with Kingdom Hearts. Is they had a good setup, they had something, and then they went and just they were like, hey, let's see how much ridiculous stuff we can throw in. Like time travel. I bring that up with uh, my students fairly often because they're all you know, really big into movies and they really liked the Avengers and they're all like, Oh, we got the new series of Avenger movies coming out. And then there's going to be an Avengers too. And I'm like, you know, there's a risk here. One of the reasons why comics are like impenetrable right now is because of these huge continuities and this long seated history. And as it gets more and more complicated, like you can't come into book four of game of Thrones and know what's going on. You have to read all of the old books. And as like Kingdom Hearts gets more and more incoherent, and now Final Fantasy Thirteen gets more and more incoherent. Like I have no desire to even jump into any of these games, even if I'm interested in the combat systems, because I have to play the other games that I didn't like at all in order to understand the story. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, even if you played the other games, you still wouldn't understand Dream Drop Distance. That's true. That's true. Yep. So yep. I, I don't want to spend too much time on Thirteen Two. I feel like we could do another whole podcast of that. So no, not I, trying to sell it short, but you know, it did come out. It sold. We're getting a thirteen three in Lightning Returns, and yeah. And, and I look forward to that, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, amazing. I think it's going to be good. I really do, because I would still, even with its issues, I would still class thirteen and thirteen two as good. Uh, I know that so not would everybody say you're would agree with that. Neutral. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I honestly, I'm probably leaning positive on Lightning Returns. So I, they're they're enjoyable. They just have a lot of issues. So I, I think I've said everything I need to say about it. It was a game. I'll just stick to that. It's it a game. Was, it was a game. It came out. Okay. So moving on, uh, we got Devil Survivor. Yep. Go. Two. Oh, Devil it Survivor was, 2. My fault. It was, it was more Devil Survivor. It had a pretty neat story, although admittedly I haven't finished it. But Did it, uh, did it pick up from Devil Survivor 1? No. No. Ah, and I, I think what I, it was it was good. The gameplay was good, but it felt really samey to me. Like, it really that's didn't actually, feel like much had changed. That's actually why I have not played it, because it seems very similar. Just Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really almost identical to the point where the three main characters, you have a silent main hero with you know untapped potential, and then his two friends are just gender-bended versions of the characters from the first game. Like, before you had um, Atsuro, the hacker guy that's smart, and then Yuzu, the ditzy chick, and then now you have smart, strong girl Io, and uh, Daichi, who's like a loaf around dummy, but he's about Yeah, I, it's hard to not use curse words. I'm sorry. I know, Derek. I know you're you're doing fine. 
hikers and everything. But yeah, it's. I think that was. Uh, it's really similar. I think some people took issue with the fact that it has a little bit more of a relaxed atmosphere. I mean, Japan is still under attack and it's like a cataclysm. But in Devil Survivor One, one of the most unique things about it is that you're in a Tokyo lockdown and there are demons and angels and nowhere safe and everything's terrifying. And then in Devil Survivor 2, you join this organization really early on that's fighting the, the invaders. So you know, there's like a secret I'm, base and, and everything. I think that's, so that's one of my least favorite tropes in an RPG is the some horrible thing is happening. So now let's join the group of freedom fighters fighting against it. I hate that trope because then it's like we have to go out on a mission. I still like the idea we talked about on a former podcast about uh, a previous podcast about being evil. I want to play a game where I am the evil empire and I'm going around snuffing out the rebels. Yeah, well, you can't do that in Devil Survivor, which obviously, but you can in Devil Survivor 1 and 2, you can definitely take a chaotic route. And like in Devil Survivor 1, I know you that you can side with, side with demons and become Lord of Demons. I don't know the specifics, but it's, it's, it's like that again in 2. I, I also didn't beat 2. I got most of the way through it. I'd say probably two-thirds of the way. And then I started to get frustrated with how hard it was and had to put it on the shelf. But now there's an anime coming out of it. And I don't watch a lot of anime, but damn, am I excited for that one. Okay. Okay. So it was good. Again, a good game. Uh, if we're ready to move on to what I think is uh, a pretty good game and probably one of the most depressing stories of the year in terms of the industry uh, was uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning, which, um, you know, Steven and I both reviewed that. I think we both enjoyed it quite a bit. Good, solid action RPG with some really kick-ass combat that was just a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, then the total implosion of Kurt Schilling's uh, 38 Studios, uh, the selling off the assets, the end of the MMO. I mean, it was just good lord. I don't know whether to take this as a cautionary tale for the industry or just like, you know, don't try to make new IP. I mean, it is just depressing to talk I, about I, this. I think I, I think it's a lot of things. Like, I think 38 Studios, the management is at fault, but also, you know, it's there's a lot of people at fault. But you know, discussing that doesn't really get you anywhere. I actually think it's the opposite of a cautionary tale because it was the mismanagement that made that game not profitable. Like, I, I think I think Dave posted the the numbers where like the game would have had to sell some obscene, obscene number of units that just for an, a first time IP were just unheard of to actually break even. And like the game sold pretty well, especially for new IP. So if they hadn't you know thrown so much money into it and you know the all that you know gross mismanagement, you know I think you that game would have been considered a success. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like overreaching your bounds. I mean, people have to keep you have to keep things in perspective when you're coming up with the sales numbers that you need to achieve. And the fact is that new IPs can sometimes break through and really surprise people. But you have to establish something and you, you have to start a grassroots effort. You have to get people interested in your title. And then when the sequels come out, that's where you make your money, because now you have an ingrained culture of people that want to play those games. And, you know, betting the whole farm on Kingdoms of Amalur. Yeah, well, the MMO first, and then this action RPG that was already being made by big, huge games ended up becoming Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. I mean, it's just, wow, man. Now, on the other hand, I, I'm sure somebody will pick up the IP for that, and I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe EA will pick it up because they've partnered with it to publish it. And, I mean, it's so well enough that I'm sure they see value in developing a sequel. 
I really hope so, because that, that is a good game. There was nothing terrible about it, and I, I would like to see another one. I think uh. Kyle might beg to differ. What's that? He said I might beg to differ. Well, Wait. you didn't you didn't like it nearly as much as we did, Kyle, and I, I can see why. There, no. were, there were some generic qualities to that game. Yeah, I can definitely see why you guys like it, but it's definitely not my thing. It's... Just it's way too heck and slashy, and it just it doesn't have much of a personality for me. And that that is one reason why I kept it off my uh, top five games. Like I, I was remembering how much fun I had with it, but I'll be honest, Kyle, I can't remember a damn thing I did in that I don't, game. I actually had to. I, I started replaying it, and I actually said to myself, "What was the story in this game?" Yeah, it, it's right, like, like I, I couldn't remember the name of anything, and I was like, "Wait, I died or something?" And, wow, I played is, this. It is one of those games that seems to just kind of vanish from the gamer collective unconscious. Because, like, for a while you saw a bunch of positive reviews and stuff, and then uh, nothing after that. And now that, you know, Game of the Years, I haven't seen it anywhere. Yeah, really. and, and people were talking about it. it was, like, a revelation. A lot of people jumped on it as way more fun than Skyrim. I think Skyrim, right. has, a better, I think Skyrim has a better personality, but I think I enjoyed playing Amalore more so it's 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 tough but yeah kyle hit the nail on the head i mean they they spent all this money getting ra salvatore to make their world and all their lore and <clears throat> i can't remember any of it <laughs> well i mean let's be honest ra salvatore i mean he pioneered the generic fantasy i mean it's generic because he made it so popular are, are and... you talking smack on drizzit i mean Geralt. i mean drizzit <laughs> no i mean re- really actually like... elric is the original girl. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Somebody but, brought their nerd pants today. <laughs> but that's the thing is, like, I, I said, okay, this is going to be detailed, but it's R.A. Salvatore. I go, it's going to be generic fantasy. So, like, for me, I think Skyrim is pretty darn generic, too. So, I mean, I'm, I find them both about equally as memorable. I just like snow better than forests. <laughs> you mean, yeah. You like snow better than forests? Not, not yeah, snow, like the character, like, actual snow. Like, snow environments. No, like, I, I think I can remember, like, I, I found the world in Skyrim more memorable only because oh, okay. I, I like snow better. Like, I, I can't remember saying, a single like, town. Like, oh, wait, I remember Whiterun. Never mind. So I remember one. But, <laughs> you know, like, I, I feel like Skyrim, I was like, all right, the joy of exploration has worn off. Now it's like, all right, now I'm left with a bad combat system, a stupid story, and really, really bad side quests. No, I, I mean, even the gameplay in Emelure, it did get repetitive, like... Especially the last section, I really... That was tough to get through. Actually, oh, yeah, God. like Alabastra. like the that, end that of that long game. slog. Yeah. I, 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 that is probably my favorite thing that I ever wrote in a review, where I was just like, you're running through the enemy's evil backyard, and you have no idea why, and you're just fighting thousands <laughs> of enemies, and you don't mm-hmm. care. That, that game hit a really good rhythm when you were like out questing and talking to people, and then a little bit of action, but when it just became that pure combat system, it did get really boring. Like, But I, I don't want to sound down on a game, like, that was a good first step. You know, it, it is. It's it's. It feels like a first game. Yeah. And I think they could have taken it in a, in a, to a good place. I would agree. I would agree. There, it's not every day that you get a Dishonored, a game that feels like it's almost the 1.5 or second attempt at a game. Rob, like you just wanted to get so Dishonored well. in the conversation. You're you're right. I want to get Dishonored <laughs> yeah. in here. John's not here. I we can talk that. about it. 
Wait, you saw what that I did way there? too obvious. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, like, yeah. as a first IP, as a first chance to play in the Amalur world, that was a really good thing. And, you know, I, I hope to see more. I don't know how likely that is, but, yeah, I mean, wow. So we could we could spend all day talking about Amalur when we uh, could actually be spending way more time talking about Mass Effect 3, and, oh, my God. <laughs> We got lawsuits, we got FCC filings, we got, you know, demands for a recut ending, we got a recut ending. Don't forget, today one of the writers actually stepped away from the community site altogether because of how toxic the the conversation has become. And I agree, like, I was pretty angry at first, but at this point, there's really nothing Bioware can do without something awful and 4chan and the internet exploding and just declaring that they are literally... Hitler. Like, they're not, like, kind of like Hitler. They're literally, as far as the internet is concerned, everyone at Bioware is Hitler. I honestly was really embarrassed by the response to Mass Effect 3. I would agree with you. Um, I I said it back when we talked about the game, you know, months ago. It's okay to be pissed at the ending of something. I mean, yeah. I, I sat down and watched Dark Knight Rises again, and I, I think there's some serious flaws with that movie, but overall I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, I was a little down on Dark Knight Rises. I was like, well, that wasn't really you know as good of an ending as I thought, but I didn't suddenly then go to my congressman and sign an FCC violation demanding yeah. a new ending from Christopher Nolan. And I, I agree with Kyle that... The response from some people, and I'd like to think it was just a very vocal minority of players, the response from some people to start demanding an ending rather than like we were all sitting around going, yeah, that ending was kind of, yeah, not very good, but hey, that happens sometimes. I mean, it's fiction. It's it's a trilogy. Sometimes endings just suck. I mean, Return of the Jedi has serious problems, for God's sake. So I'm okay. Uh, we got to get back on RPGs. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, I don't know. It, yeah, it was whatever. I do like whimsy. I like the Ewok movie. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, you sounded like you wanted to get right, one anyway. point in there. Um, I I don't know. I was distracted by Stevens. Um, yeah, Stevens Dark Knight. Ewok. <laughs> I was gonna say something of vast importance, but <laughs> sorry. Uh, I just think Bioware... Oh, I know what I was going to say. Okay, there you go. Uh, I was going to... I think that being creative and, you know, writing stories, I think I react to it differently because... And I'm not trying to sound, you know, superior or anything. But you are. (laughs) No, he's not. But I think that if someone... Did had that reaction to something that I wrote. I, when I think about that, it makes me more sympathetic toward Bioware in the writers of Mass Effect Three, because I do believe in you know they said this artistic integrity stuff, and I actually agree with that. Like I, and you know See, they say this is our story, we made it, you promised this and that, but it's like, well. I don't know. I, I don't know if that holds up as an Kyle, argument. Kyle, I, I agree with that sentiment. And, like, I, I do think that people were a little bit unreasonable with Bioware. Because I was upset about the ending. But it was also, like, you know, it, it comes down to a difference of opinion. But I think, in a lot of ways, some of the things they did could be construed as just excuses. And when they pulled out artistic integrity, it was 
the the conversation it was couched in really made it hard for me to swallow that pill because it, I would the, agree. I mean, the ending it was, was like, changed because the script leaked, and so like it was like this rushed different ending. I mean, it's clear that they had something else in mind, and then they changed gears, but didn't pull out all of the you know all the hooks. And yeah, I mean, there I was. Just, some I feel like artistic integrity there. is great. The one I, I, I think I think the main issue I had with it, which admittedly I didn't like the extended cut either, but I appreciated the gesture was the fact that in the original cut of the game, it really didn't it, like I, I like the idea of an open ended ending, but that also made it so you didn't see how your choices played out. And then you have the extended cut, which went the other direction and it was too detailed and mm-hmm. completely you know ridiculous in some cases. But I've said that a million times, but. I, I think both sides have valid points. I think the problem is just that the internet at large is like, we hate you, Bioware, and you owe us this. Yeah, they're not. They're they're fanatic, basically. I would they agree with you. They're narrow-minded and fanatic, and they, you know, the, this mass, this vocal mass is, whether it's minority or majority, I don't know, but they they're not thinking. They're not thinking for themselves, first of all, and they're not thinking with open minds and with empathy or sympathy one thing that we didn't talk about when mass effect 3 came out and i only got this information from listening to other podcasts uh, it was the giant Bombcast in particular and they talked about how some of the dlc actually made things about the ending that had people so up in arms things like the catalyst and the star child those things were actually described to an extent in the dlc now i never i didn't play any of the mass effect dlc uh. so, so was that a part of the situation like where maybe the ending wasn't so jarring if you had seen that dlc and if so how do we feel about those story bits being held back and ea charging for it for me i played i played leviathan i haven't played omega and i don't think omega is the one they're talking about <laughs> the vibe i got from leviathan and i wrote about it in my stupidest plot twist thing all I got from Omega was someone going, oh, crap, let's justify the ending some more. So they, like, retconned a really, really ridiculous plot point in to validate the ending, which I appreciate the consistency it adds, but it just, it's absurd if you actually, like, if you actually read out what the plot thing that they added was, it's, it's so nonsensical that it's like they didn't even think about it. Like, like they didn't step back and go, oh, we're suggesting that this... It, the, I don't. I don't want to. It's still too new. I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, I wrote about it on the plot twist thing. It's incredibly stupid. But yes, it does. I haven't. It does add. It explains the ending a little more. Like it, it introduces you to concepts. But it, the whole thing smacks of just justification. Yeah. I actually have not played any of the DLC, including the extended cut, just because I. I don't know. I generally don't play DLC. Um, and I just like to keep it simple. I guess. I have a real problem, though, if that was part of the story that maybe would have yeah. softened the blow. I, I, I've i talked about this before. I really don't like DLC being held back, you know, I, without bringing up one of my favorite games mm-hmm. of all time. I think the DLC that they did in a certain game was a real good way of adding more to the universe, and it doesn't feel... The Witcher feel, 2? Yeah, well, I, I would put The Witcher 2 Actually, in there. That <laughs> well, piece, and and the fact that they don't charge you for that stuff. Like, yeah, that, that's thank what you, CD Projekt. I love you people. They're incredible. Like, yeah, CD Projekt and Xseed sit on a pedestal above everybody else. I'd, I'd put Atlas up there. I'd put Atlas pretty high up there. They're yeah, pretty I would pretty good Actually, guys. Atlas is pretty awesome, too. Yeah. But, like, uh, 
just the the idea of you have to pay in order to see the rest of this like i'm pissed i didn't have javik in my mass effect 3 everybody says javik was freaking awesome i didn't get him and i, I couldn't get him like oh you thought he sucked no oh. no i mean i i heard that he sucked somehow oh, i i as thought a, as a character as a character i thought he added a lot of interesting stuff to the like the story but as like a mission it was stupid it was yeah, like hey mission was open bad, a box but... and shoot some people you're getting him as a character and this idea of having a prothean in your party so i think where i want to leave mass effect 3 and it's my hope that as we learn more about dragon age 3 this year i think what i want to God. see out of, uh, i i know i'm scared too uh but i think what i want to see out of bioware is you need to listen to some of the criticism when i hear the bioware's lead writer is pulling themselves out of the community is no longer going to listen. I sympathize because yeah, uh, going through forums can be really tough. Like when I read somebody bashing me on occasion, like that, that hurts. Like, especially if I, you know, if it's undeserved, according to me, I mean, granted, I deserve a lot of the grief that I get around here, but that can be really painful, especially when that's something that you created. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not a writer, but I, I know where Kyle is sitting there. I mean, when my, if I hear a student say, Oh, Steinman's a bad teacher. Like, that hurts. Like, I, yeah, I don't like to hear that. And I think, too, like, again, like I said, I'm not a fan of where the plot went. I'm really not. I, I hate the ending, and I think that they did have a lot of missteps as a company. But on the other hand, even having that position, I feel like that their fans are just, like, the the all the articles I've described, that guy who, who bounced out as calling the community toxic, that's the best word for it. I mean, yeah. there's nothing that they can do. People just come off as, and again, I... I coming from a place of I'm not happy with what they did people are coming off as like overprivileged and just like just demanding things from these people that just make them sound like petulant children I would agree I would agree Which but I, I think Bioware Bioware also needs to listen to their fans though and make sure that they are at the end of the day these games are meant to be sold they're meant to be products that sell to consumers and if you told me what the ending to Dragon Age 2 was going to be for example I might not even have played that game I might have been like uh what uh yeah I don't want to play that that's not why I play Dragon Age that's not what I'm into if you tell me for example that Final Fantasy is going to go from being a traditional role playing game where you're in an overworld and you're solving side quests and you're leveling up characters and you're going to turn it into a corridor shooter with a freaking football skill system of pass defense and offense and all that crap I don't want to play it so I see what you did there Rob you see what I did there I'm not going to play that game. And that doesn't mean that it's bad, but that means that I'm not interested in it. If there is a core group of players that want to play that game, however, then yeah, they're they're free to market it. But I think Bioware, what what used to mean, what, what people used to describe as a Bioware RPG and having choices and being able to impact the story, yeah, you, you eventually you have to reel that stuff in. They can't have 30,000 endings to Mass Effect, but you still need to invest players. So I would just hope that Bioware, with their next couple games... They need to get a little bit of the fan response, maybe not the crazy people, but like see what people want. You know, I think some companies are really good at that. Uh, Firaxis just released a great patch for XCOM where they listened to the fan community and people that were already modding the game, and they added things that the modding community was working on. I think that's an awesome thing for the developers to do is like, hey, people said they wanted this. We sat down, we worked on it, and we brought it out. There you go. That's cool. I agree. So, all right, let's move away from Mass Effect 3. It's, it's simply too toxic of an issue, and uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's talk about a game I know nothing about, uh, Tales of Graces F. What the hell is that? It's from one of the best JRPG series ever. It's a game. 
Just kidding. I really like Tales of Graces, though. And, Stephen, you're a gigantic troll, and you need to stop it. <laughs> Wait, why am I a troll? Because you hate whimsy. I love Tales of... I love the Tales series. You what actually... You, you actually... Oh, my God. I can never tell with you people. <laughs> oh, Tales of the Abyss was, one, like, my third game of the last decade, like, of all time. Like, I love the Tales series. That's... I used to. Again, that I like whimsy occasionally when it's appropriately couched in something that makes so, it relevant. Tales is more appropriate than Studio Ghibli. Yeah, because Tales is all like, "Hey, funny jokes, funny jokes." Okay, now I actually care when the world is ending because I care about these characters, as opposed to like, you know. How can you not care about right. something with a lamp hanging from its nose? Yeah, I know. Right? Actually, I have a bag with <laughs> guy on there, and I actually use it for stuff. I got it from TGS. I don't hate Nino Cooney. I'm probably gonna buy it. Okay. No, all you're right. not. You hate it. You, Hatred. It's you all hate I feel. Whimsy. I'm gonna believe Stephen just this once. I'm just kidding. I always believe you, Stephen. Ah, Tales of Graces F. I played it. Did any of you guys? No. No, but I really, really I want. It. Is that on PS3 or? Yep. Yes, it okay. is. I just. So have... it's. Oh, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I I used to love the Tales games. I mean, I they were, yeah, they were definitely among my favorite. But after a certain point, they just. Aren't there like thirty thousand Tales well, games? Yeah, they become they become all the same. Like, well, yeah, I, I think in I think... a way, Tales reminds me a lot of like the last generation of Final Fantasy, like where they keep iterating on it, and it's still like the same kind of core things. There are like thematic things that carry over, and like you have like a battle system that's sort of based around the same concept but tweaked, and well, that's part of the reason why I love it because it reminds me of like Final Fantasy. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Tell us about it, Derek. Well, Tales. I was just gonna say, I think Tales is a. Uh, it's had some missteps. I really, really disliked Tales of Symphonia: Dawn of the New World, and I know Stephen likes it because he played it with his his brother, right? Yeah, but I mean, it was a it was a pretty broken game. Yeah, I and that. I think I had a I had a brief uh, time when I fell out of love with Tales, but then I I got back into it again. I I think I've played, yeah, I've played all of them that have come out here. I think that Graces is not the best story-wise, but I think that it has the best combat of any Tales game by oh. a long shot. It's super fast. It's I really like that you you have a, a you have CC that you spend on your attacks, but it's not like MP where you have to restore it at a battle. It's just constantly refilling, so you're constantly chaining attacks and Does it does it work like it did in the Tales of Destiny remake where like every time you run out of CC it, it winds back up to a, a slightly higher number and then it cycles i guess i haven't i haven't played because that's japan only right yeah what i mean right tales of destiny yeah that didn't come out here the remake i mean sadly no because it was awesome yeah but I, I think that the combat is incredible and the character progression is really addictive in graces f with the titles because you're unlocking a new title like every battle or it feels like mm -hmm. it at least so there's always something new to go after and the titles are sort of like it's kind of like FF9, I guess, where you equip stuff in FF9 and then you put the AP towards it and then you could unlock an ability permanently. That's how yeah. the titles are. So you you uh, earn points. I forget what they're called. But as you accumulate points, then you, you get mastery over certain title abilities and then you can equip those. So I think it has really fun character progression and, and combat. Did, I think sorry that, to interrupt you again. Do the t When you talk about the titles, do they work kind of like the AD skills from Abyss? Mm, I don't like remember. they give you like additional combo hits and like special abilities and stuff. Oh yeah, but they're they're permanent. Like once you learn one, then you get it. Okay. So you just 
you just you equip a title and a title is basically just like a skill set that you're earning points to learn to master if that makes sense mm. oh, and then nice. once you've mastered that skill set then you can just switch to another title and keep going on and on and on and they even what's really cool is they even have a thing that lets you auto equip new titles like if if you if you're working on a, t- a title set you can have the game automatically equip a new title once you've hit a certain rank that you can specify i want to hit rank 3 in this and then auto equip the next the next one for me so it makes Nice. leveling up and and grinding well i say grinding but it makes it really effortless i think and it's it's surprisingly intuitive because that's the, the kind of feature that i feel like should exist more often yeah is the one of the problems i've had with recent more recent tales games is like the combat just doesn't seem as fluid and i really loved how chaotic it used to be but it doesn't seem to be like that anymore does this change that i think i think Gracious has really good combat i i, I honestly think it has some of the best in the series I actually agree, Kyle. Like, from uh, I felt like S- Symphonia was the first one I played, and then I went back and played older ones, and they definitely mm-hmm. felt more chaotic. And then when you got into Abyss, and especially Vesperia, it was a lot more like plotting and methodical. I mean, I liked right. it in Abyss, but it was very slow in Vesperia. Um, I didn't like that as but, much because when I think of Tales, I think of like half-second battles. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, they have two different teams that make Tales games, and they've started to work together. I think. Um, and the team that made, like, Symphonia, Abyss, Vesperia, um, is not working on the battle system right now. Uh, mm. the peop- a lot of the ones that didn't come out here, like the Destiny remake, are where they went, like, crazy, like, super fast, you know, and Grace's F is in that same vein of really fast, uh, very, very fluid combat, as opposed to, like, the more methodical. So I think, right. in that regard, you- you'd probably be a little more happy with like the Graces game, uh, Destiny, Rebirth, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I really like that in Graces, the there there's actually benefits to controlling different characters. I know that most of the time when I play action RPGs like Tales or whatever, I always control the main character the whole time. Yeah. Because why not? But in Graces, I actually I switched through everybody constantly because everybody was just so different to play. I felt like and. I ended up playing Malik most of it, and I think I said this in our podcast way at the beginning of last year when we were talking about it. Um, but I played Malik a lot because he's he's like a long range caster, but I enjoyed playing him because he was just different. They've and... actually they've made casters a lot more fun to play as in recent games. But yeah. please, please, can they put like multiplayer in Tales is one of the best experiences you can have in a co op RPG, and if they just made it online, that'd be really wonderful. That would be wonderful. I and I did. I got to co-op a little bit with some of my friends, which was fun. I think Tales of Graces F is really, really good. It doesn't have the best story, and the cast is kind of hit or miss. I know a lot of people like him. A lot of people hate him. I thought it was an okay cast, uh, but typically Tales games are the, the stories aren't the best part, but the characters are. If that makes sense, right. like the interactions That's between the characters. Yeah, Tales of the Abyss had some pretty fantastic characters so so it disappointed me that grace's f didn't have the best cast it definitely nobody was bad or awful but they were just a little weaker and i hope that zillia is better i, I like the designs of the zillia cast better so i'm excited for that i think tales of grace's f like everything else i've touched on was was definitely a good game and if you like tales then i would recommend it and if you're not sure i think that it'll it may surprise some people with how how fun it is with the combat even John liked it, and John didn't expect right. to love it. That's what I'm thinking. I keep thinking that. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, John really enjoyed the combat in that game. It does have a <laughs> lengthy opening sequence where you play as kids, and the <laughs> combat is kind of watered down. But 
I didn't mind that because when I play RPGs, I don't expect to jump into the action immediately. So I'm okay with world building and exposition as long as it's fairly interesting and it was okay. But I liked it. Worth playing. Cool. I'm, I'm positive so- today. It's good. I'm sorry. I fell asleep. What were we talking about? Oh my God. <laughs> Let's talk about I know. I know. RPG. Now, pe- people say that I should get into Tales games. I, th- I think my problem is that. And I, I know you guys are going to give me a lot of answers right now, but I, I want to move on. I think I don't know where to start. Like it, it's an, it's intimidating for me to jump into this franchise that has so many games right now, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't they're know all what. different. It doesn't matter. And everybody will tell you a different one is the best. It's true. They will. Which I think is actually the beauty of the series. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, a game that we have talked extensively about, so we're not going to talk that much more about. Uh, Xenoblade is freaking awesome. There's a reason why you guys voted it uh, Game of the Year, according to our readers. There's a reason it came in second place. It is a damn good game. It's my favorite of the year, even though I technically played it at the end of last year, or at the end of 2011, because I played the European version. Damn, I love that game. I know you guys... I, I'm, lo- looking, I'm looking at Steven's little picture here. And I'm seeing that look in his eyes. It's it looks kind of sad. I like Xenoblade. I just you know, I just kind of lost interest and stopped playing. I know Z- Xenoblade did something in the first five hours that JRPGs never do that actually blew me away story wise though. But it's a spoiler, so I can't say it. No, right. But it involves a character. Yep. Yeah. It's a good game. I I really well, I'd say it's more than a good game. I. I love Xenoblade. I adored it, but I like it quite a bit too. Um, I I, I don't. It, to me, it made good on a lot of the promises of like Final Fantasy XII, where it was a really active battle system. It was strategic. It was fun. It felt like I was part of a unit. I really love the interactions between the characters. How like you could go to different points in the environment, and the characters would interact with each other, and that made them better together in combat. I thought that was an awesome thing to do, like break down that wall between characters and story and the gameplay. That's, that's actually, I love that. Yeah, that's something I, that I think that's one of my favorite parts because that's my favorite. One of my favorite things about Final Fantasy Nine and Tales games is the skits or the active time events in Nine because it's like it's not really germane to the main story of the game, but it's something you can watch if you want to get more into the characters. And Xenoblade took that one step further where you had those skits. But then it actually affected the gameplay, and that was just such a fantastic twist Yeah, to one of my favorite kind of things that they do in some JRPGs. Yep, we all liked it quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I think we've given Xenoblade its due. We've talked quite a lot about it. I'm sure Derek could talk for like three more hours about it. Yeah, but it's, yeah it's okay. It's, it's really good. It's a good game. Good game. Um, the game that I wanted to pick as the game of the year, uh, but we decided, you know, not quite gamey enough. So there's a little the last bit of story. Nope. Uh, Walking Dead. That is wow. Was that an experience? Like, holy crap! That game really took me by surprise. Especially like the part where I couldn't save and had to redo the same sequence five times. Yes, there there were some huge technical issues with the game. Some of the action scenes weren't very good, but I think I think gameplay wise, it's not. Very good, honestly. I, I could agree with that. I could agree with that. But in terms of the experience, but yeah, it, I, it is an experience. It's. I don't I, think, I think I like the, it quite as much as other people. You know, I didn't cry at the end. I I think it has. I think the story itself has, a, is a little messy, but it does something. It does some very respectable things, um, 
and I know I've written about this, that it does some very un-Hollywood things, so to speak. Um, I, don't, I guess, I, can I give an example? Sort of uh, spoiler? Yeah, just uh, just avoid some, like, the, avoid some of the big ones from like episode three, and especially... Yeah, I won't mention five. any names. Either, yeah. but there's a particular character who says repeatedly, he's kind of a reject character, and he says repeatedly that he's going to prove himself before the end. And he dies without doing anything. Yeah, I, I did just, love that. That is, that is good story, storytelling. You, you keep this character around thinking that they're going to have this huge impact on the gameplay. They're, they're right. going to make a huge story beat. And they are just useless. They are and just you, you almost useless. You almost regret the, you know, keeping them around and the compassion that you showed them. I mean, on one hand, you don't. But on the other, it's like... They never amounted to anything, you know? They just... And, and they also kind of cheat a little bit in the game because you you can't make grand decisions. Like, decisions in the first chapter do not completely revolutionize. It's not like you, you pick up a Coke can instead of a Pepsi bottle and you end up in Istanbul versus Los Angeles. Like, right, it's, it's not The Witcher 2. Yeah, it's not The Witcher 2. It's not Front Mission 3. It's not huge sweeping changes, but it is... Character interactions change, the way characters die changes, the finale sort of has different elements. So what, to me, Telltale said was, okay, we have this story that we want to tell. We're going to give you these little permutations that make this, the tale personal for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that worked a lot better. I, I would not compare this game to Mass Effect. I think that's doing both games a disservice. I compare this game to one of my most hated games of this generation, which is oh. he- I'm going to bring up Heavy Rain. <laughs> because I think Walking Dead does what Heavy Rain and that dude, I can't even remember his name right now. David Cage. David Cage. I think Walking Dead does what David Cage said Heavy Rain was going to do and what Heavy Rain did. I think Walking Dead makes better on that promise. Because I cared more about what was going on in that world. It felt more realistic. Yeah, there were some logic holes and some plot points in Walking Dead that didn't quite make sense. But it was a far more personal story. It made coherent sense. And the gut punch at the end of that game made me feel like a human freaking being instead of something else. That's I feel like I've... A lot of people talk about there being this big shock ending, and I kind of think that I know what it is. You probably do. You, you, I and and if, I, if I've guessed it, it's just – it. Well, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I didn't but. actually – I didn't think it was that surprising. I mean I, I enjoyed the ending. I think it was a – I think it was a, an elegant yes. ending. But I don't think it was that unpredictable or – outrageous and it i mean it, it had an emotional effect but I, I i mean i didn't cry or anything i didn't cry but i felt um without giving too much away like uh you know i'm i'm, I'm parts of my life are starting to change like i'm getting married i feel like i say that on every podcast and i i don't mean to say it but it, my life is in transition right now like i'm it's i'm a big 20, deal it's okay I, I'm 28 now. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to. Good God, when I hit 30, I'm gonna freak out. Like you guys are gonna hear it on this podcast. But like my life is transitioning, and my fiance and I were talking about whether or not we want to have kids. And the ending to Walking Dead kind of is the closest thing that I've ever had to feeling like a father. Like it was really like it. It didn't make me cry. It didn't make me overly emotional. But I cared about this this little girl more than 
any other game character, and she's not perfect. She's slightly annoying at times, as kids are. But I had this connection with this character. I felt this surrogate father relationship so much more than the complete insanity that was going on in Heavy Rain and the nonsensical nature of that game. I'm not I'm not bringing that up to make fun of it, but you know, David Cage said he wanted you to have an emotional response. I felt emotionally dead the entire time I played Heavy Rain. Meanwhile, Walking Dead, even though I knew I wasn't technically in peril because if I died, the game was just going to reload, I still felt something while I was playing that game, and I can't say that very often. I I will yeah. agree to an extent that I think The Walking Dead is more approachable and a little more believable than Heavy Rain. Because I liked Heavy yeah. Rain. I, you know, I had my issues with the plot twist or whatever, but like Heavy Rain had a very kind of pretentious, not-quite-human feel to everybody. Like It was like you were watching a Hollywood movie that just where like people didn't, ha- they didn't go through the same logic a regular person does when faced with a crisis. And I, I, feel, think- like, and I feel like that's a success in The Walking Dead is that a, the writing is there, and it's a lot more believable. Even if it's flawed, I just felt like they felt more like people. Yeah, I think Heavy Rain is superior gameplay-wise. I like I what they did there. That. I can see but that. But I, I think story-wise, Walking Dead wins it. I also have to say that there has been a lot of, you know, everybody thinks, like, Clementine is the character of the year and everything. No, I would not say that. But I have to say that, I mean, she's she's a decent child character and children are really difficult to depict but she nanako from persona 4 is about 10 times better. i agree i think that's also that's also a result of you having so much more time in uh persona 4 i agree with you guys but i think that's also a result of the nature of those two no, games not just, not well just she that. is better written I, I will say better written but when you have like 80 hours worth of gameplay that that allows for a little bit better writing yeah i feel uh, like yeah, i that's i, I screwed myself because i Somebody posted a spoiler on our threads about Nanako, and I read it by accident, and it made me sad. You hadn't got... Oh, my God. Whoa. So I was like, I'm never reading anything. I need to get Persona. Yeah, I ended up doing that. We're, we're watching Battlestar right now, and I gave away a couple of who, who some of the Cylons are. Black, and I was like, Oh, my God. I love you, Rob. I, I love, love you. We're on the episode Razor right now. Um, oh, my we're, God. We're at the mid-season finale right now, and I have to wait until she comes back up to Pennsylvania, and I'm like... Argh! That's my all-time favorite. I'm really TV liking show. it. I'm really liking it. So, uh, moving on, I, I thought Walking Dead was fantastic. I um, would love to see a Battlestar Galactica in the style of Walking Dead. You know who I want to see on Battlestar Galactica? Ian McShane, because he makes everything better. I want him to be a captain. Irrelevant, but okay. Okay, no, I, I actually I think that playing like <laughs> FTL and buying uh, Sins of a Solar Empire Rebellion made me really want like just that old school like uh, th- Battlestar feels like it's on a submarine. Like, it feels so realistic and so awesome. We could talk about Battlestar all day. Moving on. Sorry. Sorry. So, Walking Dead. Really good game. Um, moving on to Diablo 3. I swear to God, if I read on one more message board or one more disappointing game of the year, somebody mentioned Error 37, an error that only existed for around two hours on launch day, I'm going to flip. I'm so sick of reading about that. Good God, people. Suck Especially it Especially considering that the uh, the... Indie darling Torchlight 2, I couldn't get on multiplayer for the first day. Some people had significant problems with Diablo 3. I want to back up a second. Like uh, Dave Yeager on our site, he he was never able to connect to Diablo 3. I, I don't know what I'm guessing he has, like uh, internet out of Saskatchewan or something like that. I don't know. But like 
that sucks. And I, I, I would argue that, yeah, D- Blizzard's decision to keep the game online always, there were some negative ramifications with that. But for people to sit there and bring up Error 37 to this day, that just – I am so pissed about that. Like everybody kind of forgot about Diablo 3. Nobody really talked about it. Admittedly, it, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. It has some endgame problems that I think are very serious. But then for all of a sudden people that, to then start attacking this game as the disappointment of the year and to mention things like Error 37, I, I'm sorry, people. Get over it. Like I love Dark Souls. Dark Souls internet on PS3 never worked 100% of the time, and that was game-breaking and really obnoxious. That's and something to Dark Souls internet working on the Games for Windows Live version is actually the exception to the rule. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's some serious stuff to complain about. I can play Diablo 3 right now, no problems, with Steven, and it's a great experience. Is it a perfect game? No. Do I understand that people are disappointed about it? Yes. Was I disappointed by by it? To an extent, yes. I don't think it's a perfect game. I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to. But, you know, people just flipping out about this game. All of you that are flipping out about this game, guess what? When the expansion comes out, you're going to buy it. When StarCraft 2 Heart of the Swarm comes out, you're going to buy it. You're going to buy it. When, when if, Titan if you comes quit out, WoW, you're gonna buy it. If you quit WoW a few months ago, you bought Panda. You bought pandas. You bought pandas. Like, oh my god. I, I understand people being upset about it. Maybe this is me being like the antithesis to my Mass Effect three comments, where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I'm pissed off about it. But I get why people are mad about Diablo three. But some of the things that they're complaining about, I just don't understand. I don't understand how there were Error 37 t-shirts that you could buy on IGN the day after Diablo 3 came out. I don't get that. Like, that's not a meme to me. Like, you know what I did when Diablo 3 came out? I went to bed. And then I woke up the next morning, I had taken the day off work, and I played from 9 to 5. And it was awesome. God. Yeah, Diablo 3... I don't think that it was like the... I think that people just had unrealistic crazy expectations for it like it was going to be that it was going to be the game of the of the forever yeah well i definitely i think the problem is that diablo 2 was like the lightning in a bottle like i think we've it's been proven time and again that you know no matter what you're looking at a movie a book a game every now and then something comes along that is just that much better and it's it has nothing to do with the creator i mean it does to an extent but you know, like The Dark Knight Rises. I thought it was a great movie. It's not as good as The Dark Knight, but no, you shouldn't have expected that. Yeah. It's it's irregular for things to, like, last. Like, it's not normal for a game to last as long as Diablo 2, period. And, Torchlight and, 2 is not going to last as long as Diablo 2. Neither is Diablo 3. But And also, what people forget is that Diablo... And we talked about this on that podcast. Diablo 2, when it came out, was broken. Eight Ways to Sunday. That yeah, game was, when it came out was awesome, but yes. Yeah, it, it was had awesome, problems. but it was broken. It was completely unbalanced. It had major issues. And yeah, by the time the expansion came out, a year later, it was a much better game. They still release patches to Diablo 2. Like, this is not something that happens. Diablo 2 did not come out, and it was not awesome the day after it came out. It came out, and it was very, very good. It was a damn good game, but it had major issues. Like, the Necromancer was completely broken when that game came out. Oh, he was awesome. No, it was unplayable if you tried to make a summoning Necromancer. I made a Pikeromancer and did well, all right? Yeah, yeah. Certain things worked, but I wanted to summon the armies of the dead. I I think, too... um... Another thing that doesn't get paid enough attention to in Diablo 3 is the fact that 
they're doing the same thing CD Projekt Red is doing. They've been releasing tons of updates for that game. Like, it's not like they said, sorry, guys, it didn't work. We're out. You know, <clears throat> you know, they haven't made good on their promise for PvP, and they are scrapping some stuff. And But, you know, they're working to fix it, and they're taking people's suggestions. Like, it doesn't, you know, people aren't always getting what they want, but the fact is it's not like they're sitting there going, oh, well, screw you guys. We're not changing it. You know, they said, yeah, we think there are problems and we're going to work on them because we want you to keep playing our game. Yeah. I mean, I think they still have work to do. I'm excited for an expansion. I hope they open up a skill system a little bit. I didn't, I, I, I still, I still like the skill system that they had in Diablo three, but I think there are ways to still make it a little bit more personal with maybe some stat boosting that you could do here or there, maybe a collection of skill points that you could use to augment certain things. I to think be honest, that, I would like it if they went back to the original idea they had for the rune system, which was that you could find runes as items. Oh, I think that would be terrible in that random auction and in, in that real money auction house. I think that would get really bad dude the but more i think about, about that the like more... you say okay you're level 10 your skill all of your skills now have one rune slot and then as you level up you unlock a second rune slot a third rune slot or something and you can customize your skills a little more i think that would give people it doesn't have to be balanced like diablo 2 is not balanced that's, and that's true. why it's fun that's like, true chaos is a lot more fun like look at final fantasy tactics people still play that game now that game is so unbalanced it's hilarious <laughs> and that's why people love it I love making Orlando a ninja and then just sending him to the other side of the map to annihilate everything. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is you could you could fight one battle in Final Fantasy Tactics and be winning and you, you could have Meteor. You could have Meteor by the third battle in the game and you could kill everything. And, you know, the subsequent Tactics games I didn't enjoy as much because, yes, they were more balanced and more measured, but it didn't feel like I, had, I could totally break it. And that was fun. And that's how Diablo 2 felt. And I feel like Diablo 3 is a little bit over-engineered. They just, they spent so much time trying to balance it and, you know, fine-tune every little system rather than just putting some crazy stuff in there and letting it go. I would 100% agree. 100% agree. And Diablo, but one thing, and then I want to move on, because we, again, we could talk about these games all day, but Diablo 3, the thing that's really surprising to me is when I go back and play that game, how fun the moment-to-moment combat is in that game and how you have to be strategic on the higher levels. They've done a lot of things to kind of mitigate some of the obnoxious uh, side things that they could do to the enemy mobs that made the game completely unplayable. They've done a lot of good on that. And the moment-to-moment action in that game is a hell of a lot of fun. It is really, really good. And it's not nearly as mindless as some other hack and slashes. I've tried a couple other loot games this year, and nothing has really grabbed me. Diablo 3 is a hell of a lot of fun to play. I'm going to mention another loot game in a little bit that you didn't put in the list. Okay. Uh, Ease, or is that Wise? I can never tell. It's It's Ease. ease. I know, I just always like screwing with you guys. I'm sure you do. And... You didn't I like it, it as much as I did because I loved it. Like that, that and Xenoblade, man. I loved East Origin. Love, love, I, I love, love, love. I like the music, but I, I kind of have a love hate thing with Falcom's music. I think that their music is great in the game, but I think it's all like save a few popular tracks like Fina and stuff like that. I feel like the a serious problem with those is it's just like how many wailing guitars can we jam into this boss theme at once? And it sounds great in the game, but then I'm like, I completely forgot that boss theme. Steven, is this the one I've watched you play at E3? Uh, yeah. Okay. Like, I, 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 it was fun. It had really, like, the thing is, it didn't attempt to do, it didn't attempt to go beyond what its focus was, and I appreciated that. It was our solid action RPG where you run really fast 
and stab the crap out of stuff or shoot magic at it, which is what I did. This game was also made in 06, for what it's worth. True. We only but just got it now. Thank you, Xseed. Yes, thank you, Xseed. The, the, the I, price is right, and if you want to play a fun action yeah, RPG... 20 bucks. I would have paid 50 for it, gladly. People I, did? Yeah, people did in Japan. So, I think it came out at a perfect price point. It's It's got... What I really like about it is that it's really distilled. It's really... It's concentrated sort of arcadey action RPG goodness. Everything is divided into really manageable chunks. Like, obviously there are save points, so you can't just up and turn it off whenever you want. But So, you know, it, it maintains some of that RPG structure. But I really like that each, you know, you're, you're going through one continuous dungeon, and that dungeon is separated into different layers, and each layer feels like a level. So if you wanted to, I know I've said that a million times, but if you want to play it just for a little while it's it's a perfect goal to set for yourself like all right i'm gonna sit down and play this and i'm gonna beat the sand area today or whatever of course i just powered through that damn game because i loved it i i and i really like that they give you reason to play through there's three characters and two of them are available at the start and then the third one becomes available when you beat it once and you get and, more that way too yeah and well you get Admittedly, it's the I same like a lot, but it's the same areas but the the all of the third character's extra story adds so much. I don't know. Did you beat it with all three characters? Probably not. Uh, no, I beat it with all three. Oh, did you really? Okay, I felt like the I felt uh, like the third I character the, added. I heard the third character like actually finished the story. Yeah, it does. And I I really enjoyed that game. I love the music. I love how fast it is because. We all love RPGs, but RPGs are typically games that require a time commitment. You have to sit down and really get invested a lot. And East Origin starts off with a, a good amount of dialogue. I don't know, Stephen, I know you were saying that it was a little bit too much for you. But I think once you get past that, you're just getting super fast action. And I really enjoy that. I love how palatable it is, like how you can just sit down and, and play it a bit. And then that's it. I think that is the case. Like, I, I think if I had cared more about the story, I wouldn't have minded the opening information dump. But, like, the story felt like such an afterthought in the game. You know, which, you know, it's focused on gameplay. That's cool. You know, I, I know that about Yeez. But I, I think the when, when you mention how distilled it is, I think it's a blessing and a curse, depending on your perspective. Because on the one hand, it means you're always doing something fun. You're always, like, you know the game is always right in front of you. It's not like you have to screw off for six hours before you can get into a dungeon. But on the other hand, it made it kind of exhausting sometimes because it's like, all right, I finished this dungeon. Next floor. Next floor. All right, I finished this. Next floor. All right, I finished this boss fight. All right, next floor. Okay, another boss fight. And it's That's... awesome in terms of, you know, you're constantly doing something, but it never slows down. So it, it can be like, after a while, I was like, oh my God, I gotta take a break. Yeah, I guess that's just the nature of the game and that's more of a user a user thing. Yeah, like, it depends really on what you're hoping to get out of it. Like, if you want something that's a little more, like, methodically paced or, like, something that has, like, variety in its pacing, I don't think it's quite as successful. But, again, that's not its point. The point was to be an insane action RPG, which it was yeah. be successful at. I think I told you, um, you'd probably enjoy Nayuta no Kiseki because it's, like, it plays... It's a little bit slower, but it plays similar to an East game, but it's definitely way more plot-heavy and world-heavy. It's only in Japanese... Um, so I don't, I've well, not I mean, played a, a lot of it and I've played, you know, like four hours of it and my Japanese is limited. So I understand what's going on, but it's, I'm not getting the nuance of 
of character development and that kind of stuff. I mean, I can tell, you know, bad guy appears in cloud of black mist, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's really good. And I think that it's, I, in a lot of ways, Naito and Kiseki takes from East games. So I don't think that East origin is the perfect East game, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I think that, I, I think a lot, a big part of that experience was I was just so excited to have the chance to play it because it came out six years ago. I didn't think that we'd get an English version of that. So and and they brought out uh, the Oath and Felgana, which you told me is better, which I need to yeah. play it. So, so yeah, you it. probably like it better. I, I actually really like E7, too. I mean, that came out a couple of years ago, but yeah, uh, and I heard that most of these fans don't love that good. one. But I like that that one had a little bit of like a town exploration element. I felt like E7 was bloated, which is weird because maybe I just have a different expectation with these games. I still liked E7, but E7 has like five towns that it doesn't need. Whereas <laughs> Oath and Felgana has one town and it's perfect because you go back there and that's where you restock and refill. But an origin was even more streamlined than that. It didn't have any towns. It just had shops at the little save points. So, you know, it's good and bad, but I enjoyed it a lot. I, I think that a lot of people probably missed it. So I would definitely tell people to go back and play that. It goes on Steam sale every time the Steam sale goes up. You can get it for like two fifty. Yeah. Or five anyway, or something. That's all I gotta say. All right, let's start banging these things out pretty quick because uh, I want to stop and I've just sneezed thirty times in a row and I feel like crap. So, <laughs> thank God for the mute button. Uh, Guild Wars Two, uh, pretty good MMO. Uh, I really enjoyed what I played of it, but it didn't quite revolutionize things as much as I wanted to. Um, as much as I think they wanted to as well. Some as much as I wanted them to. I was so excited for that game. There's some you good. Play it? Stuff. Yeah, I mean, I pl- I played I when the game came out like when Rob, I played it with Rob and John a little bit. I I probably put like twenty hours on it, and I just I just got so bored with it. I mean, it felt like despite all their efforts to like you know streamline things and make things you know feel more organic, they succeeded. But then it just made the game feel meaningless. Like everything is so easy to do that you never have to really invest in the game. It's like well, I don't have to worry about where I'm doing quests. I'll just roam around and kill stuff. And when you're in a big fight with so many people, the events are great. But then it's like, what I do really doesn't matter in this. So it's like, I could just click all my buttons randomly and yay, I win. If yeah. I die, somebody will get me up. There are some really good steps forward. Uh, I did like the dynamic events, even if they did start to get a little boring. And I agree with Steven that you start to feel like you're not really impacting anything. Um I really like the way they handle level scaling because that makes it really friendly and it's easy for people to come and join up with your group. I, I think that that's a great step forward. I love the world design. I think they created a fantastically oh, awesome yeah. world. Great art. Uh, interesting places to explore. I just think at the end of the day, I don't like traditional MMO combat enough to play that game for any length of serious time. I don't... It, they... They did some things to make it a little bit more interactive, but it is still a lot of one 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 and two one 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 two one. Yeah, and that's that's disappointing because I think they made some some moves in the right direction, but they didn't go full enough, and I think they suffered because of that. So, I think the bottom maybe line the is scrolls online will revolutionize it. You think it will, or you don't think it will? I just said maybe it will. I don't. I don't, I, I don't think so. Let me let me put forth my uh, prediction. One of my predictions of 2013, right there. So, uh, so you since you already pointed it out, uh, that game ain't coming out this year. No. No, because I think they got to figure out how the hell they're going to price that game. Because if Star Wars failed, 
what chance does an MMO yeah. Elder Scrolls game have? And when you're marketing that to the PC crowd and not the console market, where that's where you're making your money right now is with console development. Yeah, I I don't think that game's coming out this year. But yeah, Guild Guild Wars Two. I'm I mean. It does some really good things. I want to see some expansions that, you know, I, I think it's going to be around for a while, so I want to see what the expansions, if they maybe make the combat a little bit more interesting, and if they give me more of a reason to play it. Because it did, like, the first five or six areas that you complete 100% are really cool, and then you realize that's pretty much what you're going to do in every one. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing, is that it it aimed to revolutionize, and it didn't. So it's a solid MMO. It's just... I don't think it did enough to really make me feel like it was worth my time. Yep. And I, I say this as a person who doesn't really like MMOs. Yep, yep. Uh, I have down here Hipster Diablo, so that must mean Torchlight 2. <laughs> Torchlight 2. If you hated Diablo 3, you were probably excited for Torchlight 2. Or maybe not. Maybe you like them both. I like... Well, no, I don't like them both. I. Torchlight 2. A much more open-ended game than Diablo 3. That's you being nice. It is. It's a lot more open-ended. Diplomatic, yeah. It's it's way more open-ended. You have way more options over how you build your character. Uh, It's again for me. I think it's a little too similar to Diablo 2. I don't feel that it feels very fresh. But for some people, that's what they wanted, and it does that very. It does what it sets out to do very well. It's very customizable. You know, it's very open-ended. It has well. Once it started working, the multiplayer works fine. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot to it. It's a fantastic price. I mean, if you're if you're looking for a loot hack and you don't want to spend a lot of money, it's pretty much the best deal you can get. It's twenty bucks, and it's on Steam sale for like ten. I almost picked it up, but then I said nah, I'm not going to play it. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, if if your complaint about the hack and slash genre is that they're all kind of the same, it's not going to make you feel any different. It does. It, it's a completely different approach to the genre than Diablo three. It's much more. It's much more chaotic, which in theory, I should like. I just feel like it's a little too much like Diablo two for me. But you'll be hearing from Dave. Well, I think <laughs> Dave the, will I think, kill me. I think the other problem is that Diablo two is still very playable. That's still a game that, like, it, when it comes down to be, between playing Torchlight two or Diablo two, I'm just gonna fire I, up yeah, Diablo two again. I think I'd rather play Diablo two because I still feel like I like. Again, Torchlight two is a great game. It's just not the game I want to play right now. And it, the exact opposite could be true. People could say Diablo 3 is a great game. It's just not the style of game I want to play. And that's really what it comes down to is what you want out of your hack and slasher. And for me, if I wanted to play Diablo 2, I'd boot up Diablo 2. Yep. Uh, moving on from Torchlight 2. I'm sorry we... we didn't say more about it, Dave. Sorry, Dave. Uh, he's sharpening his knives and coming after Steven right now. Uh, the game that proves that RPG mechanics and loot does not make a better game. Darksiders <laughs> 2. Oh, I thought you were going to say a different game and I was going to disagree with you. No, no, no. You'll get your chance to talk about Borderlands 2 in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> Darksiders 2. Yikes. What a mess. Eee, man. Kyle, give us some thoughts on that because you reviewed it for us. Yeah, I didn't even finish it. it. It was like impossible to finish because it was just so. It was just. There's a lot of content, but it seemed like there really wasn't anything to it, and you'd just be going on these three-part quests repeatedly, and for no really no real reason. I mean, it, it looked pretty, but and the combat was okay, but 
I just found no reason to play it, and that's the worst thing a game can do. Yeah, just really. I, I agree completely. Pedestrian dungeons. Uh, most of it, most of it had to do with the um, level design, I think. Which I think the level design in that game is abysmal. Um, every and the RPG elements sucked. Every element, every environment looks exactly the same. They have these huge overworlds with nothing to do in them. Yeah, awful, nothing in them. Awful side quests, and they'll give you the side quest, and you can't even complete it yet. The game doesn't tell you that you don't have the tool or item to go about doing it. Just the worst kind of RPG mechanics where, yes, this level 10 enemy cannot be killed by your level 5 death, so don't even try. Just... And the the multitude of glitches. I love it when a game comes out uh, on PC, and for the first, like, three weeks that it's out, yeah, I can't play it. It can melt your PC. Yeah, it can melt your PC because the vertical sync doesn't work, and my graphics card is getting up to 95 degrees. Thank you very much. (laughs) Like, that's... (laughs) awesome uh yeah that game just yikes real proof that you can't just throw rpg elements and hope to make a better game i think you know we we see rpg elements permeating most games these days you have some kind of level up system but just because you give me a loot system just because you give me skill choices you still have to make that stuff interesting and this game just felt like it was made by committee. You had some guys working on the RPG mechanics, some guys working on the puzzle mechanics. It's really similar to Assassin's Creed uh, Creed, uh, Assassin's Creed Creed, Assassin's Creed 3 in a lot of ways to me, uh, where it just feels like too many chefs were in the kitchen and this thing got lost and people forgot why they were making it. Yikes. Uh, I, I think designed by committee is exactly the problem. I feel like this game was probably the victim of some development pressure from THQ. Yep, and uh, once again, proof that the best Zelda game, because I would still say that Darksiders 2 is trying to ape that Zelda cred, uh, the best Zelda game made in the past 15 years was a little game called Okami. Yeah, you stole that quote from me. I know, and it was an awesome quote. I appreciate that, Kyle. (laughs) Kyle, you need to understand, you're the writer, but I'm the one that steals the writer's work, and I get the credit for it. I don't like the sound of that. I know, right? (laughs) I'll see you later. I I know, I know. But yeah, Darksiders 2. Yeah. Uh, moving on to an indie title, Lone Survivor. This was a game that I really wanted to like more than I actually did, but I just got really frustrated with the map system. Uh, Kyle, tell us a little bit about Lone Survivor. It's the Kyle Show now. It's one of those games that, I mean, and this year has been great for graphic adventures. And yeah. Steven indie games in general. Good lord, FTL, Mark of the Ninja, go play these games. Wow. Um, but the one that stuck out the most to me was Lone Survivor, aside from Walking Dead, but that's a little different. Um, and Lone Survivor is one of those games that's just, there's so much behind the curtain, and I love that. I love that in Dark Souls. Um, I love that in Crimson Shroud, which was recently our game of game of December 2012. And that I don't like it in every game, but that's definitely one of my things that... That, may, that will make me like a game much more. And Lone Survivor does it really well. Just these really subtle choices. And the consequences are just as subtle. But it ends up being... I mean, I played it twice. It's a really short game, but I, I played it twice. And it's... It's also just kind of... I don't know. It's not... It's not as pretentious as some of the other indie games. I think some people would argue it, that it is. But I think it has more heart i guess 
I agree best, with you completely. It's, it's the best Silent Hill game released in the past five yeah. years. Uh, I really liked it. I think what really... I, I know I, I'm very picky about my gameplay mechanics, but I got really tired of coming out of rooms and not knowing... Since it's a 2D game, and you're like in, in these environments in a 2D plane, you would come out yeah. of rooms and not know which way was left on the map sometimes. Right, and, I... I never figured it out. Like, I messed it up every single time, I think. And, and to, <laughs> make, to make matters so much worse, the game has a hunger system in it. So you are fighting against the clock, and they it, it kind of felt... Uh, that can feel like a really good element in a lot of games. I think Amnesia does a really good job of that, and they, they constantly give you the ability in Amnesia, another survival horror game, to keep moving forward and never screw yourself completely. But just the stress of having the hunger meter and needing to get sleep in Lone Survivor combined with the not knowing which exact direction I was going, it made it a very unpleasant experience for me to play. But one of the cool things about it is that you didn't necessarily have to eat, you didn't have to eat well, and you didn't always have to sleep. I mean, it would have effects, but like you could still beat the game and you know not get those things all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I want to was... try it again. I want to give it another shot. So... I liked it. I, I definitely liked what I played. Not, I, I think the indie game scene this year was uh, very, very positive. Lots and lots of really good things were released. Uh, when we get the Steam Summer Sale going on, if there's any indie title that you were thinking about, I think it's a great opportunity to pick them up. Uh, I said it just a couple minutes ago, but I have to reiterate, Mark of the Ninja was one of the best stealth games I've ever played. That game is freaking awesome. And FTL, I want a full game like FTL, and you Mass Effect guys that are listening right now... Not an RPG. No, 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 Sorry. no, no. I, I but, channel John here. But, but that game that they've been trying to make a fun mini game in a Mass Effect for the past three games, and they failed every time. That game needs to be the fun mini game. That needs to be it. And then you could have boarding parties and like going in and shooting aliens and whatnot. Steal it. Just Bioware. Just steal that idea. Steal it. Steal it wholesale. No more planet going around and scanning crap. No. No, no, no. I want ship management. Jerks. Sorry. Didn't Go play mean Infinite Space. I know, I know. I, I got so many games to play. I think I have Infinite Space. Do I have that on my DS? Yes, I do. Oh, uh, I, I, I want to try that. I just haven't gotten up. I, I've heard it's really hard. I think that's why I'm like... Oh. It is hard. Oh, I don't like hard games. You What? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the next thing. Love you, Derek. Uh, Steven, I, I don't want to sound down on Borderlands 2, but I think Borderlands 2 is like the game everyone forgot about this year. Like, nobody... I disagree. No, nobody's talking about it. It didn't come up on, like... Because hard... they're all playing it. That, really? So, that's weird logic. <laughs> that's re... But, like, uh, on most Game of the Year lists, that game never even came up. A couple yeah, times. I, was, I, I thought a couple times. shocked by that, like... Like, we didn't mention it anywhere except for on my list, and, like, a lot of people just, like, forgot about it, which is interesting considering how well-reviewed it was. Um, and, I mean, I thought it was awesome, but, you know, whatever. I think Borderlands 2 was the best loot game released this year, but there you go. I think Borderlands 2 is a good game. Uh, playing it with you, Steven, was a hell of a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. And I think the Mecromancer got exactly to the core of my problem with Borderlands, and her character class started to change it. Because her her character class plays so remarkably different. And there's actual meaning behind trying to play as that class, and you're not just waiting for a cooldown. 
her skills, like her ability, that that anarchy thing, as she does more and more damage and gets less less and less accurate, that plays into the gameplay the entire time. It's not like Borderlands One, where all I felt like I was doing was waiting for my turret to recharge. So I I think she was a step in the right direction. I want to see more of that. That I actually I, I think all of the skills this time around did that, but no, I, I agree, especially compared to the first one. The Necromancer is very is a very different design. I think that was awesome. I, I think the problem that Borderlands 2 ran into is that it is very, very similar to the first game. It does a lot of things better. There, there's more customization. The character classes are better. It looks pretty as all hell. It's a good game. But I think it was so similar that uh, like a lot of kids in the dorm at, at the school, a lot of kids picked it up. They played it like crazy for five hours, and then they kind of said, yeah, you know, I'm already kind of... I'm kind of over it, and I don't feel like they got to the good stuff. Like, when the robots started to show up in that game, you know, the gameplay style started to change, and I started to get interested again, and then Steven was never online again for me to play. <laughs> it's, it's definitely more iterative, but I, I, I like that. I do expect more in a third one, but yeah, uh, it's... I think it's fantastic, but I'm also playing it with a group of friends constantly. I never, ever play by myself, so, mm. you know, there you go. But the DLC's been good so far. They've already said there's going to be a second season of DLC, and more new characters, so... Woo! Sounds good. Uh, VLR. Oh. Don't spoil anything. Don't you say a word, Stephen, because when that comes out on iPad, and I'm keeping... I'm not going to spoil anything. It's not coming out on iPad. Dude, it's you never know. Excellent. It's not. Stop. It, you never know. 999 didn't. Yeah. Guys, don't do that. Ace Attorney did. Yeah, but that's Capcom. They like money. <laughs> It's an excellent game with a really strong, deep, multi-layered narrative and really interesting characters. It hooks you right away, and it makes use of the fact that it's a game. It could not be experienced as a book unless it was a really weird book. Yeah, that's the thing. is It takes the concepts that you learned and liked about 999. First of all, it plays better in every regard. It doesn't waste your time as much. You never have to repeat the same content. You know, I mean, you'll you'll read the same dialogue like occasionally, but the the mm-hmm. turbo is way faster. You never have to repeat puzzle rooms. The That's game awesome. is more aware that people who are playing it probably know the big twists from nine nine nine, and as a result, it plays with that a lot more in the plot, and that means you're engaged throughout the game. It's not like okay, I want to rush through this playthrough so that way I can get to the last the last selection of doors and see what plot stuff is going to be revealed. This time, it's like you're getting stuff throughout the game. And it's just, it's paced so much better. The music is better. And it uses all the good music from 999 anyway. The puzzle rooms are, I think, way more interesting. They're a lot more creative. Just everything about it is a better 999. This is my question. And I know, Stephen, I think you've said that you disagree. But I thought 999 was written very poorly. Um, Both the dialogue and the prose. Mostly the prose. The dialogue is pretty typical JRPGs stuff but a little more grounded in reality. And it was to the point where, like, it actually affected how much I cared about the characters, which was very little. I mean, it was still really addictive, and I wanted to figure out what happens. But is the writing in VLR better? I think, I mean, for me, I I see where you're coming from with 999, because it does read a little more gamey than, like, you know, like a well-written Western RPG or even a well-written JRPG. Like, it reads a lot more, like, very basic and very kind of like it's not typically elegant like 
you'll get lines like, and so we went into the room and explained all of the things we saw to the other people, and they explained the stuff they saw. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I've, you, you still, I don't mind that, but I do, I know exactly what you're talking about. BLR, I would say, is a little better. I personally think the dialogue is excellent in both of them, but the prose is still just, it's very, it's functional, yeah. but it's not particularly yeah. elegant. My, my I would not say that. My knowledge of contemporary Japanese literature is very limited, but for example, when I read uh, Battle Royale the, earlier this year, I, I sat down and read that, and I was very struck by, I, I'm not usually one to criticize prose, but I was struck by how weak it was. It was like, yeah, his brains were leaking out, kind of like somebody stepped on eggs, but not really, more like this, like the prose was just really, really weak. That's the translation. I mean, is I, that I, the I, translation, well, or is that just the of style stuff. of Japanese writing? I, I'm well, not criticizing, saying that it's it's bad, but it, it was it struck me as weird. The amount of expressiveness is going to be different. Like that may not have read as awkwardly in Japanese because that's the concept that was being put forward by the original Japanese, and it's tough to say that eloquently in English. And, right. You know, a translator is a writer too, and they vary in quality. You know, Murakami's translations are fantastic. Well, most of them. Uh, you know, because he has three translators that know him well, and they and you know they they understand his writing, so you're getting and you know he interacts with the translation process. But you know, with a, like you know, a lot of times if the translator is translating a work and maybe not interacting with the original writer, or if they're just you know, they may not be that great of a writer in English, that's going to impact it. And I think okay. you are you are looking at you know a work in translation. So for me. I, I really appreciate the story, and I do like the characters in 999, so, like, I, I just, I see where Kyle's coming from, I just, you know, it didn't have that effect for me, but I know it, it is something in the game, like, it's, there are inelegant pieces of... Okay. Well, Derek, what did you think? BLR has the same thing. Comparing yeah, I think Steven's got it pretty right on. It's, it's, it's all in the translation. I, I don't think that, I think that the writing is, it's, it's hard for me to, to separate them in this case, because I think that it has a really strong, unique narrative and it's a little, there's a little bit, I hate this word and I'm about to use it. There's a dichotomy between the, the way that the characters speak and the complexity of the plot, if that makes sense, because a lot of the times the characters are super casual, silly, and mm -hmm. it takes, it takes you out of it a little bit. And I know that it's meant to be jarring like that, but it's also kind of weird. And I don't know how much of that is from translation and how much of that was actually in the original script. Okay. So I don't think that it's badly written, but I think that it's not as elegant as it could be. I like it, though. Cool. I'm going to play right. it. For sure. All right. Uh, for the love of God, please put it on iPad. Please! It's a good way to describe please. it, Xenogears. Oh. Well, that made me not want to play it, and I love 9 No, no, it's not like... I'm talking about the writing. The, the writing in Xenogears is abysmal, but the story is good. Okay, uh, I want to get this uh, podcast wrapped up. So, last game. Uh, my only question about Persona 4: The Golden. If we had allowed this to be voted for for Game of the Year, would it have won? I don't know. It's I probably, probably would have voted for <laughs> one of the best games I've ever played, and I've said that multiple times. But it's also a game that I played in 2008. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really enhanced version of it, but it's a game I've already played. If this was a brand new game and I had never played it before, then yes. Absolutely, game of the year. So in a vacuum, yeah, yes, but in reality, probably not. Yeah, it's it's incredible. There's really nothing about it I dislike, but it is, you know, an enhanced. I don't want to say remake. 
yeah, is, it's that's, it's that, incredible though. That's probably the last like really special JRPG that I played. Like where I sat down over the course of almost two months and played that game, and I, I almost played it like I was living it like school wise, where I would only play a few days at a time and then stop and maybe take a couple days off and come back to it. And that was just a really special game. Um, really. God, please announce Persona 5 sometime in the near future. Please don't put it on a handheld. I want it to be a big console JRPG. I'm sorry. I want to be on a handheld, sir. I, I know. See, I want to see it in like in a similar engine to Catherine. Oh my God, I was. That's mm. why I, I'm not disappointed by Shin Megami Tensei 4. Like I'm excited for it. But imagine how cool that game would have been if it was in the freaking Catherine engine. That art style. Looked- yeah. Gorgeous. That's that my argument for Nino Cooney. That's why I'm so excited for Nino Cooney because we don't have a lot of big budget console JRPGs coming out right now. That's what I want. Oh, I'm sorry. We have Lightning Returns coming out. I'm I sorry. Agree. No, I, I, I forgot I, about that one. I, I want to see more big budget JRPGs too. Believe me. Okay, so uh, at the end of the show, we all get to look like idiots a year from now. Let's all uh, make some predictions. Who goes first? I, thought, I, I put I forth my MMO uh, Elder Scrolls not making it this year. I don't think it will. Also, uh, Fallout 4 will be announced at E3. That's easy. Mm. That's easy right now, especially with the news that like the three-dog actor yeah. is talking about it right now. Probably, like, yeah. Yeah, we're getting another one. I don't know if it's much of a prediction, but I'm just I'm hoping for a lot of things to happen. Like, I'm hoping for localization announcements for a lot of games, like Shin Megami Tensei 4, Bravely Default, Final Fantasy Type-0, uh, any Kiseki games, please, God, please. Ooh, ooh, uh, ooh. I got another. And I, oh, and, oh, and no, I think, I think it's, it's kind of a, I don't know if you'd call it a prediction, but hey, Ferret, stop that. <laughs> One of my ferrets just had an itchy attack. He's yeah. going to keep going. Anyway, I think that Final Fantasy 14 is going to be surprisingly good. And I think that a lot of people, because I, everybody's completely dismissed it already, and I continue to follow it you know, almost obsessively, sure. But hey, stop! What did I say? Sorry, <laughs> ferrets, man. Uh, I, I I've been following it a lot, and I I see such a drastic improvement. And I also think that it just looks like a really high quality, high budget game. And it, I, I, I don't know. I think that people are, are not paying attention to it, and it's going to come out, and they're going to be like, holy crap, this game is really good. That's my prediction. I think it's going to be really hard for that game to win back an audience. I, I'm, that's not speaking to the quality of the game. I really hope it's good. It looks, no, I agree. It looks I impressive. I think you're right. But they got a lot of work to do. Uh, I'll throw out another prediction. Uh, when the new consoles are announced, a lot of games that you think are coming out on PS3 and Xbox 360 are actually coming out on those consoles. So, Dragon Age 3, I'm looking at you. Uh, Cyberpunk, whoo, that was a good trailer. Cyberpunk, I'm looking at you. Watch Dogs, no, it's not an RPG, but I'm looking at you. I see a lot of games that there that last year at E3, you had a lot of cagey discussion about, oh, what console is it on? Yeah, they're actually next-gen console games. I wouldn't be surprised. I wonder if we're going to see anything at E3 this year about new consoles. Maybe just like a demo or... Uh, because the, the Agnes philosophy thing last year blew me away. And I'd really like to see some more stuff 
of that nature. I think we're gonna get. I think we're gonna get the console announcements. I don't know if they're gonna make it for the fall. I don't know if they're gonna make it for oh, holiday. Oh, I season. highly doubt anything's gonna be out this year. I just want to know if they're gonna announce it officially. I think they. So. They're gonna announce it, but like everybody's already. All the other gaming podcasts I listen to, people are talking about launch games for the holiday season. I'm like. I don't know. Y'all remember, like, the PlayStation 3 was announced, and it was another year and a half before we got any games for it. Like, before the damn thing was released in America. I I don't know if we're going to see that. I think Microsoft might be able to get their console out in due time. I mean, they kind of did a stealth launch of the 360. I mean, they announced it and then brought it out fairly quickly. But I don't know if we're going to see that again this year. I don't know if they can wait until E3 to announce these consoles and then have them come out by December. I just I don't see that happening. I mean, it still took it took Nintendo how long to get the Wii U out after launch? A year and a half. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that that is how long it took. I really I really do not expect to see any new consoles out this year. I think it's kind of ridiculous to think that they would. I think it's getting was, more ridiculous by the week. The, the longer muted. it's not announced. I was just muted and trying to talk to you guys. I actually disagree with you both. I think we'll see both of them at E3. And I think they'll both be out by, if not the end of the year, before the end of the first quarter of next year. I think the, I actually have to disagree with Rob, too. I think Sony will get theirs out first. Because the Xbox 360, if you want to talk about who won the generation, they got a commanding lead by coming out first, period. The, you can say whatever you want about red rings or bad design or broken consoles. It doesn't matter. 360 was a huge success, and a lot of that was because it came out first. There were two factors to the 360 being huge. One was the year head start. That was absolutely huge. They killed the Xbox, and they put all their chips into Xbox 360. It was a good, smart decision. The other thing that led to the 360 being the total dominant force this console generation, with the exception of the Wii, of course, is the PS3 price point. Because only idiots... Hi, how you doing? Robert Steinman at RPGFan.com spent $600 on a PS3. I spent I was 500 a, but I got it when Metal Gear 4 came out. I was a moron and spent that much money on that thing, and I will freely admit it, but that price point hurt the PlayStation 3 just as much as the 360 coming out early. I think I, think I agree, and I think Sony's not going to do that this time around. The Vita was... I mean, you have to buy a memory card with the Vita, so... That's a little stupid, but still, that's a $250 piece of equipment that could have easily cost $400. Exactly, and I think that the I think that they are smart enough to say this time we have to do this because if we want to, you know, issue out that lead. But I think you'll I think we'll see both consoles probably even playable at E3. Maybe not, but I think they'll be playable if they're announced. I think they'll be playable. I'm just. I don't know, with the hardware, if they can get them out as quickly as they think. You, you remember when Sony was like, we're going to launch the PS3? What was it, the spring of 2005, I want to say, they were going to launch it? It was the spring of 2005 or spring of 2006. They were going to do a worldwide launch, and like, yeah, that didn't happen. So I don't. I, I think Sony can't get it done. I think Microsoft could get it done, because they would just focus on America. I they think, would just uh, focus on America. Also, my two unrelated predictions are both Square Enix related and both bad. Oh, uh, I think Final <laughs> Fantasy XIV is going to tank so bad that it just it will it will perform well. It will be well regarded, and a core group of people will play it and enjoy it. But it's never going to find the success that Eleven did, and I think it's going to be a complete and utter like fiscal flop. And I also think that we are not going to get Type Zero, even though it would be smart of them to localize it and release it digitally. 
So that way it helps the Vita, which has no games coming out, even though I want them to, other than Soul Sacrifice. But Soul I, Sacrifice. I don't think I don't think we'll get Type Zero. I would love if we did, especially if they just release it as a digital PSP game. Then everybody who already has a PSP can play it and they can sell it to Vita owners. Before Kyle gets to his prediction, are we going to get Dragon Quest X on the Wii U in America? Yes. Yes. I I think it's a coin flip. I honestly think it's a coin flip. I think my yes might be more just hopeful Hopeful. projection. (laughs) Yeah. But I I don't see how they couldn't. We haven't missed any since, you know, they re-released 456. We've gotten... We got seven way back on PS1. I don't know if we'll get the remake, to be honest. I think hope it, we do. I, I, we I do. would like the remake of seven because I want to find this game that takes 50 hours to get started. <laughs> I want to play that game. I look at it this way. We haven't not gotten a Square Enix MMO ever other than Fantasy Earth, which they sold to somebody else. Okay. Uh, I I don't think it's a lock. I think the Wii, the Wii U is going to have a very, very rough year. I mean, if you, you look at the Wii U, that thing's going to be going up against new hardware, and all it's got are the N- Nintendo franchises, which, you know, sell very well. I, I think the Wii U is the N64 again. Uh, I really do. I think it's the N64 again. It's behind the times. It's going to be behind the eight ball. It's going to have those key games that come out. Everyone's going to buy Zelda. Everybody's going to buy Mario. But... Z-Z-Z. But, like, yeah, I I don't know. Kyle, you've been silent. Give us some predictions. Oh, I don't have many. Um, February 5th. I think, no. I think 2013 will be, will be better than the last year for RPGs, because, honestly, 2012 wasn't that great, um, especially compared to 2011. I don't yeah. think we're going to see any of the games that I'm really excited about, like Cyberpunk and SMT4 and Dark Souls 2. Yeah, Dar- I, I think I, I agree with you. Dark Souls 2 will be early 2014, yeah. and that breaks my heart. I think okay. Bethesda is going to run Skyrim into the ground with a bunch of crappy DLC and then give us Fallout 4. <laughs> um, and then I think I'm going to explode on February 5th. Yep, when you get your Witcher 3 announcement. I think. That's oh, great. man. Do we get Witcher 3 this year? No. Eh, I don't think so. I'd say early. I'd say maybe spring of 2014. Yeah. I'd say spring of 2014. It, it kind of depends. Like I, I think we'll see a lot when they announce it. Uh, if the trailer is mostly in-game footage, and if it looks like Witcher 2, I I know that that's a lot of ifs, but I think that it'll come out sooner than we expect. If it's a similar engine to Witcher 2, if they're just taking the red engine and you know making it look a little bit better and then making more content i think it could come out sooner than we expect but i don't i don't know i don't know that they would do that like it just doesn't strike me that they would want to just iterate on the witcher i feel like they'd want to go from the ground up cuz cd project red doesn't you know they don't have that you know ea activision mindset of well we got to get a game in our franchise out every year they can care less than get a game out I, I agree with you. I think the only thing that worries me is when they see how much money like Mass Effect 3 makes, which is an iterative game uh. over Mass Effect 2. I, I, again, I, I don't know anything about CD Projekt doing that, and I, I, I really trust those guys. My thoughts on Witcher 2 notwithstanding, I, I don't think it's a perfect game. I don't like it as much as Kyle, but those guys are awesome. And uh, I yeah, am and I, ready to play what those guys make, because for all I, the bugs I had with Witcher 2, I still really liked that game. Yeah, I agree. I, I loved it too, and I think they're great. And I think their comments have shown that they are not going to take the 
hey, Skyrim sold a lot, and so did Mass Effect. Let's throw in some shooter elements in an open world. No. I, I, I don't, they won't do that. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll kill you. Like, they will not they do that. And I, 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 I suppose it's possible that The Witcher 3 could look like The Witcher 2, but I would be very surprised if it wasn't a significant jump forward, because that's the kind of developers they are. I mean, even if it does look the same, Witcher 2 looks amazing. So Yeah, it does. Yeah, look. it still looks really good. I can't wait for the 8000 series ATI cards to come out because I'm picking up an 8870 when it does. And I can't wait to play Witcher 2 at 60 frames. I can get like 45 on my computer right now, which is still good. Wonderful at 60. I know, I know, I know. Um, okay, so I, I think maybe I'll make the last prediction. And it's one that breaks my heart. And we open the show talking about Nino Cooney and having laughs with it. Nino Cooney will be extremely highly reviewed. Extremely highly regarded. You're going to read in a lot of reviews that it is the second coming of the 16-bit RPG. And nobody's going to buy it. That's the story with all PS3 exclusives, and I agree. I know, and that sucks. That really sucks. I, I, you know, I played that demo. I really liked what I played. This is this is the game that you know I, I was complaining about no open world in Final Fantasy 13. I was complaining about a really not fun battle system, at least not something that I find fun. I know other people like it. Nino Kuni is everything I want, and it's really gonna piss me off when that game doesn't sell. That's really gonna. I'm gonna be mad. I'm warning you right now. I'm gonna be mad because I'm sick and tired of people reading about. I'm sick and tired of reading about how people don't like Final Fantasy 13, and then they're not going to buy something like Nino Kuni or even the Tales games. Like, yeah, I agree. It's it's, it's like in a completely unpleasable market, and it's really aggravating. It, it frustrates me that again, I don't want to lambast an entire segment of an audience, but I feel like. You know, you get a lot of Xbox 360 exclusives that are, like, very marketable shooters and, you know, action-style games, which, you know, by all means, I'm happy those games do well, but I feel like it's like people will buy those kind of games over and over again, but they won't take a chance on something that, at least in my opinion, and, you know, disagree if you want, that is legitimately more creative. Yep, and I, I just love the art style of that game, and with every brown shooter, as uh, Steven's talking about, with every brown, gray, dull-looking military shooter coming out, and then you have something that looks as distinct as Nino Kuni, I just hope that it finds an audience. I really do. I got my $100 Wizards Edition coming in in two weeks. Wizards Edition. Me too. <laughs> yes, Me too. I got a Wizards Edition. So I need to get Tales so of Races cool. at first, so... All right, I we gotta, gotta end this. Book. We gotta end this podcast because I have students knocking at my door. So okay, uh, chains of satin up. Cognition are games I played as well this year. They were good. Steven, end the podcast. Tell people what to do if they want to talk to us. If they want to talk to us, they need to email us at podcast at rpgfan.com or any of us directly. And please do, or they should go to iTunes and review us, which you should definitely do, and pick five stars. It's been great having you, Steven. Yes, you Even as well. You're always here. Kyle, meh. it's been great having Kyle and Derek. Yeah, it has been really nice Rob having Kyle always. today. Well, Rob's a whatever; he's always here. But uh, huh, it's back. been really nice having Kyle today. No, it's not that nice. Mm, it's, it's pretty okay. nice. Well, we thank you guys for joining us as always. Keep listening, keep subscribing, keep rating us, and send us questions if you ever have any. We love to to see those, and we will definitely answer them because we don't get enough. So, it's true. Uh, thank you, everybody. Did you tell them to rate us on iTunes? Yes, I enough did. plugging. Well done, Derek. Well done. You, you oh, have Steven earned... did it. Oh. I just did a little thing. Well, I don't like to congratulate Thank Steve. you, guys. All right. Thanks a lot. Talk to you all later.